This is the Pain Information Network. Michael comes to town. Well, today, uh, just another day, we had a hurricane come through. Uh, It was Michael, and Michael was actually one of these kind of meandering kind of nothings when we were looking at it in the deep gulf, and then it just kind of took on its own life, and it was almost a Category 5. It slammed into Pensacola, actually Mexico Beach. It's really pretty there. I hope people go there and support the community uh, when they clean up a little bit. They're going to need it. And so it uh, roars up. It was a fast mover, unlike Florence of two weeks ago. Um, And so it comes kind of ripping through the day. And uh, so my plans were to do a podcast in a car, and that was on Sunday. Okay, the side story on that. Uh, Friday, I spoke in Memphis uh, at Mary. Uh, which is where we uh, have a lot of training, Memphis Education and Research Institute. And then uh, we go to the lab on Saturday and Sunday. We have a lot of great fellowship and really incredible people. It, it, was, it, was, it was just, a, I don't know, it was fun. I've said it before, but you plug your head in the light socket when you get around some of these people like Ricardo Vallejo and he's an MD PhD uh, he's an immunologist this guy um, he is pretty remarkable to be right he's one of those people you want to listen to listen about every word he says listen to what he's doing because um, he's a researcher uh, cutting edge and then he got in a discussion at dinner with Dr. Spiel, and Dr. Spiel is pretty cutting edge, and they started talking about stem cells, um, a lot of stuff that I just felt couldn't go away, so I put my cell phone down in front of them, and uh, I didn't get much, uh, but I got some, and we're going to talk about all that stuff, it's coming up, the really exciting new stuff about stem cells. In fact, in the paper, I think it was last night or the night before, Uh, They injected stem cells in a quad and got some movement back, arms, and legs. I need to know more about that and learn more about that, but that's why we're doing this stuff, regenerative medicine. So I had to decide what I was going to do is uh, I was going to do one of the interviews from Memphis and put it up. But uh, because of the storm, I'm, I'm not I'm not messing with it today. I and it's a weird thing to talk about when you have a storm go through. But I'm going to talk a little bit about depression because I get asked asked all that every single day. Asked about what it is, uh, where am I going? Am I ever going to get better? And uh, so it's a, like a walk through history. All right, what is depression? And what it is and what it isn't. Well, in historical terms, it was black bile. They kind of had that right. (laughs) That was uh, back in Victorian age. And then it evolved and morphed into melancholy. Uh, And then we went into the spiritual age. And then the Freudian slips. Uh, You know, I don't know if anybody knows, but Freud had a big cocaine problem. And so that would influence his writing and thinking, but it was a stimulant, so he felt better. So he probably had a little depression himself. 
And so if I can make a little vector sideways, there's the big question mark about Lincoln. Lincoln was uh, a known depressive, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. It's biochemical, it's environmental, it's psychosocial, uh, it's religious. There are so many factors involved. But Lincoln uh, was very odd with his uh, depression. Very smart man, probably too smart for his age. Uh, Very wise man in his writings and his discussions and very tempered with his comments. Now, Mary Todd, on the other hand, was, I guess if I could throw it out there, and it's, of course, my opinion, uh, the classic uh, bipolar that had big swings, forward, backward, forward, backward. I don't really see those two together, how they got married. And I'm a big fan of Lincoln and studied him and his decision-making. Actually, that's what I was interested in, is how did he make his decisions? Here's a guy that gets elected in one of the most turbulent points of American history. We elected him um, not by popular vote or anything like this, because he was uh, fractured. And the vote for other candidates put him in the office because there were so many candidates, he just kind of squeaked in. That's a podcast for a whole other story, but... He brought with him to the White House Mary Todd. He also brought to the White House with him uh, a good friend. And um, I don't want to go off to the side too far, but um, there there's some question marks about Lincoln and his struggles. And maybe his uh, struggles with sexuality had something to do with his uh, depression. Um, the world, according to me, I'm just telling you the way it is. If you're interested in that, um, take a look at that. If you suffer from depression and you have issues that you don't think are uh, what society will accept, look at him. And he actually, in the last few days of his life, and um, (laughs) I can say they were good, uh, he was getting happy. The Civil War went his way. Um, it seemed Mary Todd was under control. He had, um, a lot of chariot rides. You couldn't do this stuff anymore. You know, people, people could walk up to the White House and, uh, the Capitol, knock on the door and get a meeting with him. You can't, of course, do that anymore. But uh, he was ultimately accessible and responsive And that was the last days of his life. So to bring it back to relevancy, it's not that depression has anything to do with the strange or the outlier. It has to do with great people who do great things and influence millions. And they have something on their shoulder and a little voice. So there are... Many theories. Uh, you deserved it. No, you didn't deserve it. Uh, there's the deprived. I didn't have things in life. The abused. I was abused, therefore I'm depressed. Um, the person that gets more depressed because somebody's telling them to just to shake it off. And then they get 
really depressed because I can't shake it off. And then there was a childhood drama or trauma. There was a trauma of adult life, and it could be physical and non-physical. Then there's the environment and genetics, and those are real. Uh, Parenting issues, drug and alcohol, that's big. Drugs and alcohol are often the result of self-treating. Then there's a religious influence, and I can tell you uh, in the pretty much dark ages, uh, oh, we, we looked at religion as something that can cure us, and it didn't come to very long ago that you could convert and cure somebody that was gay. You can't. It's much more than that. And then there's biochemical. Of course, that's true. But what is it? Did the biochemical milieu change uh, before or after the event or your depression? And all these chemicals are thrown around serotonin. And I throw around BDNF, uh, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, norepinephrine. We, we throw around a lot of these chemicals. Uh, we throw drugs at the brain to try to make these chemicals altered. That's just a piece of it. Okay, then there's money issues. That'll do it. That'll send you into depression. But that's kind of a secondary depression because, you know, if you can turn things around quickly, that old dopamine pump goes when you get the money. Um, your depression is something different. It's not, um, it's probably not genetic. It's probably more biochemical and the reward system is involved just like drugs and alcohol. Okay. Um, then there's marriage and relationships, the physical characteristics. What do I look like? Do what, what do people think of me? This list is long. Um, and there are many hidden and unknown reasons for depression, but I'm not sure they're all important. But the truth is, it's just a brain disease. You can get ill. Um, your brain can have uh, problems just like you can get pneumonia or heart disease or hypertension. Your brain can have some problems. That doesn't mean a, that you are a problem. So there's neurobiology. In neurochemistry, so let's take a deep dive. All right, how about a good day that was ruined? All right, your brain is wired, and it's not like what you think. It has circuits, but not like you think. It has chemicals, but not like you think. This wiring in your brain is alive. It it, it responds to environment and reactivity uh, that you, uh, influence such as, do you exercise or not? Do you smoke or not? Do you use drugs or not? Obesity plays into it. Uh, and of course, physical ailments or co comorbid disease. It is all in your head. Absolutely. The primitive part of the brain right behind the ear that I talk about all the time has a lot to do with your depression and, so you can see and you can start to feel that depression is very personal. It's very different for every individual, but it all is the same. It starts with pain, 
It may start with addiction. Uh, it can start with um, a bad event. The brain is like a muscle. It can grow. It can get bigger and stronger. And you can help it that with that, or you can kind of withdraw, and it will recede too. So unfortunately, you got to give to get. And people that are depressed do not want to give a lot. They What they want is to take a pill or to be told something or to get involved in some kind of fad or uh, some type of individual. And despite the fact that that individual may be destructive, like in a bad marriage, it's something like, well, it's okay. I've got to be involved in this. Um, I, I don't know where else to go. No, to treat depression, you have to have somebody on the outside as a coach. And that could be a psychologist, psychiatrist. It can be your family doctor. It can be, it can be your neighbor. But the coach says things that you can't see. All right? and, and I can't emphasize that enough. All right, so work on the things you can work on, the modifiable features in your health profile. If you're obese, I don't care if you lose a pound a month. If you look at it in two years, that's 25 pounds. Put a 25-pound tire around your waist and see how you feel. You're going to lose that. So be realistic. You know, those benchmarks, okay, really. Is it drug and alcohol use? What can you do about that? And most people especially those with depression, can't control either one or don't want to. That's where you've got to turn, turn to somebody. The um, confidential nature of the physician or provider relationship is probably the best start because they're going to look at your whole health profile and comorbid disease, and they will know the resources. Resources rock. If you think you know resources because you've been on the internet you don't know resources uh a lot of them are just junk and be very careful of people happy to take your money uh and smile and i take a whole bunch of different kinds of insurance and i'm going to get you better and you're back at it in a week nope it's a lifetime of uh commitment in fact most uh, programs are four months. Uh, that doesn't mean you got to be into a program for four months, but you ought to be in NA or AA. We recently saw a major celebrity, Ben Affleck, where there was an intervention, and that may happen to you someday, but, you know, those interventions mean only one thing. Somebody cared enough about you, they stuck their neck out. And for physicians, somebody stuck their neck out. Physicians react when they're confronted about uh, substance abuse, and I'm going to sue you, and no, I'm not, and that sort of thing. But that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're trying to save a life. And in the uh, otherwise community out there, and just folks, just day-to-day folks, and all walks of life, um, it's usually something you have to succumb to. You have to be ready for change, but by the time an intervention hits, it's potentially life-threatening. Go with it. All right, there are neurons and interneurons. Um, 
depression begets more depression. As you become more depressed, your brain actually shrinks and the uh, neuronal interaction or the connections and the brain health is on a slippery slope. That's why we see and I emphasize activity even though you hate it. If you if you do it, you do more. If you do it, you start building your brain. That's the muscle. That's these inner neurons talking back and forth because there there's a stuff out there called glia, and I'll, I'll get into that at some point. It's um, it's got to be presented right because there's neurons; those are the nerve cells that everybody knows in the nervous system, and they're alive and they grow, they shrink, they grow, they shrink. Depends. There's sick neurons in sick states. And they're active, healthy neurons with good interneuronal interaction. And then there's a glia, the background. Well, glia, uh, kind of like a search and destroy, kind of a ninja, kind of a CIA kind of cell. They just kind of sit back and they kind of know when there's a healthy cell or not healthy cell. And interestingly, uh, beyond the scope of this discussion, uh, glia hate opioids. They make things worse in the brain with opioids, which classically describes opioid-induced hyperalgesia. Uh, More on that in another discussion. But glia is out there. So we need to shut glia up. Um, It's kind of not our friend. It kind of is our friend. And it's a very dark world with glia. So um, depression... um, is something that um, can be treated, but not easily. Mood uh, is intimately involved with the limbic system, as is memory. And that's in the primitive part of the brain, uh, the hippocampus. There's this process of synaptogenesis that I have bored you all with that leads to BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that is part of brain health and Certain drugs affect that very effectively, like ketamine. We've talked about ketamine. But when you don't have uh, an effective way of raising BDNF or uh, enhancing brain health, you have sleep problems, hello, fibromyalgia, and uh, you have foggy brain, hello, fibromyalgia, and other problems, um, and you have what is called alpha-2 intrusion. You don't really get down to stage 4 sleep. And so all the sleep studies in the world and all the CPAPs and that sort of thing aren't really going to help you that much. But your memory's kind of not there. And you kind of lose um, track of the day. You don't know what the day is in the beginning. You want to sleep in the afternoon, but you can't. And then you can't sleep all night. So that is kind of depression. That's the sleep issue with the, the depression, and that's a kind of a simplified way to put it, not to, not to speak down. But um, it, to go into this part of why people with depression have trouble with sleep, why they have trouble with memory, why they have trouble with uh, interactions, uh, situational anxiety, why they have trouble interacting with people, just people, um, conversational tone um, can be explained. All right. So, the brain is like a map. Uh, It has cities, large and small, each with its own purpose. 
for example, the circuits we talked about, kind of like the roads to places, they are influenced as are the cities. Pain, addiction, and depression, as well as anxiety, intimately related to the reward system, to the prefrontal cortex. So that's um, that's what we know for sure. When the prefrontal cortex in addiction, pain, um, depression does not have balance, the prefrontal cortex does not have balance, and therefore the inhibitory mechanisms that would normally be in place or some of the normal thought processes that have to do with logic are overwhelmed by emotion. And so that can happen, and that can explain a lot about addiction, why people compulsively do things, because they don't have the brakes. And you can't tap the brakes if you don't have the brakes. It's influenced by drugs, events, illnesses, and is responsible for the release of dopamine. And for those that don't really understand dopamine, as so many don't, it looks structurally similar to amphetamine. And we all know what amphetamine does. So there's a nucleus accumbens, accumbens, the ventral tegmental area, and uh, the wiring that has to go with the uh, reward circuitry. It's all influenced by dopamine. And it activates these structures that affect affect and effect a change in the brain, in other words. So um, when you promote balance and impulse control, you start to get a better handle on not only pain, but addiction and depression. So when dopamine is depleted, uh, among other chemicals um, like serotonin and uh, norepinephrine, there, that's that's going to affect mood. So we've taken our deep dive here into neurobiology and uh, the whole process of neuroaffective processes that are involved involved with uh, uh, depression. But um, let me round it out. Okay, uh, if folks are having problems with symptoms, say listlessness, they're flat, they have anxiety, sleep disorder, uh, they have bugs all over me, as many say, they have trouble with memory, sexual dysfunction, job problems, legal, financial, uh, the list goes on and on, especially with relationships. I think that the most important um, thing you need to realize is you are at a risk for suicide. And people don't think suicide um, is really around them. It is. Uh, the physician community is well aware of that. Um, as many physicians die from suicide every year as the entire Harvard Medical School class. So, you know, we talk about 700 physicians or more, and Pam Weeble has some good information on this stuff. You've got to say, what in the world is going on? Happy-looking guys, a great surgeon. Next thing you know, he's dead. Um, how about uh, Kurt Cobain? Uh, got everything. It doesn't have to do with what you got. It has to do with what you feel. So look at, look at yourself and be honest with yourself. Do you need help? Are you starting to plan? Are you thinking about action? So what do you do about treatment? Well, um, the older you are, the tougher it is for you to get treatment. You need to talk to people. You need support groups. There's a lot of old meds out there. You've got to get on the new meds. 
you've got to understand that um, there are great positions to be made. Let's talk ketamine someday that truly means something and interventions. So various antidepressants are there. Uh, Electroconvulsant therapy is still being used. And what it does is it increases BDMF, uh, helps with dopamine, uh, and so does ketamine. So um, the whole idea about addressing depression is improving function and quality of life. Know where you are heading and to absolutely um, instruct, beg, borrow, steal, whatever it takes to get you help. You don't want to end up in a dark place that you can't climb out of. And that's what depression is. I don't know where to go, where to turn. Where you turn is uh, uh, to, first of all, a a medical professional, and they will have resources. And do it quick. If you need to dial 911, if you need to dial the sheriff, fine. It doesn't matter. The resources will come to you. These pills can take months to work. If you think you need to detox, um, yeah, if you think it, that's pre-contemplation. If you think you need to do something about it, you're ready to go. Get in to help. When you clear your brain out, especially from benzos and especially from street drugs and opioids, you're going to be stunned how you feel. Your brain's going to get bigger, literally. Functional MRIs have shown us this. It's going to get bigger. It's a muscle. It's now being worked. You're going to feel better with the dopamine available, the norepinephrine available, other chemicals, serotonin, whatever. But um, you're going to get there. Now, okay, I picked this because uh, this topic today uh, during a hurricane uh, uh, I think it's a good topic. Boy, is it dark and dreary today, and now the sun is starting to come out. These hurricanes move like little rocket ships sometimes, and uh, not Florence, but this one did, and thank God. There's quite a bit of damage, and you should see the flooding, but the good news is it's over, and so can your depression be.